Last month, you may remember, when I was here, Jim's led the service, and they had spent the past year talking about the armor of God, and so I followed that with a, with the message on the shield of faith. I wanted to preach from there, and I'd like to continue today by going back to Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. And the Apostle Paul, just to set the stage, is a prisoner in Rome. He wants to have a hearing. He wants Christianity to be declared a legal religion within the Roman Empire, but he's put his own safety at stake. And he's chained to a Roman soldier, a Roman legionnaire. And so, towards the end of his letter, he likens our spiritual battles, God's people, to that of the Roman soldier and the, the equipment that the Roman soldier wore. And so our focus this morning is going to be on the headgear, the helmet of the Roman soldier. In Ephesians 6.10, the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Wow. Well, in war and combat, the two most sought-after targets are, are the head and the heart. doesn't take much, uh, much thinking to realize that if a soldier is, is hit hard in the head or stabbed in the heart, they're going to go down and most likely die. And so for this reason, armies over the years developed armor to cover the head to protect the heart. Now, the piece of armor which protects our heart and other vital organs is the breastplate of righteousness. But for us now, we're going to consider the headgear, the helmet. And throughout history, even today, people have worn helmets and hats for different reasons to protect their heads. In sports and contact events, people tend to wear helmets. I'm a soccer referee. They outlawed heading, you know, hitting, hitting the ball with your head for little kids, for U10 players, because they don't want them to get hit too much in the noggin. And so in battle, it realizes, you realize it doesn't take a lot of thinking that if you, you know, strike your enemy on the head, they're going to go down. So the head has always been a favorite target. And the Romans were, were no dummies. They developed armor. So they created this protective headgear so the legionnaire could stand in battle. And the helmet of the Ro- Ro- Roman legionnaire was developed over time. It had pieces that came down, it protected your cheeks and your face. It had a piece that came off the back to protect the back of your neck. And the helmet never left your side, it was always on your head. You would never go into battle without it. It would have been suicide. Without the helmet, your head is exposed, 
and you, you wouldn't last long. Last time when we talked about the shield, we talked about the fiery arrows, the arrows they would shoot at you. There were also slingers that threw stones and lead shot at you. It was very dangerous. Imagine this picture where you have a group of soldiers coming at you in full combat gear. But at one point, the Romans ran to a group of people called the Dacians, and they had to reinforce their helmets. The Dacians were an Eastern European people. They used a a wicked two-handed weapon. And they didn't worry about armor. They just wanted to run in, and they wanted to whack you on the head. And because this tool was, was curved, they realized that they could go over the helmet and hit the Roman legionnaire in the head. And that's why the Romans added that little bar across the top, because they needed further reinforcement for their helmet. The same is true for us, the Christian soldier. Here we're told to take the helmet of salvation, We have to protect ourselves from the attacks of the enemy. A Roman soldier going into battle was ready to go. With his helmet on, he had the assurance that he could stand. We can have this assurance. We can have this confidence before God because we're wearing protective headgear, and it's the helmet of salvation. We need to realize salvation is real. It's it's not wishy-washy. It's an objective, accomplished fact in the lives of God's people. I grew up going to church. I I actually wanted to know God. I I wanted to know more. Maybe that's why I went into the ministry. But when I was younger, I, I didn't have any assurance. I didn't know if I died, if I was going to go to heaven. So the time came in my life when I decided to do something about it. And I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, Paul calls this the helmet of salvation. It's not the helmet of prayer. It's not the helmet of righteousness. It is a helmet of salvation. So our focus is on salvation and how it protects us as God's people. And we have to realize you you can't just put on the armor without first being a follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, putting on armor doesn't, doesn't make you a Christian or a believer. First, you're a believer and then you can put on the armor. But the problem is not everyone, not everyone puts on the armor. So, so what is this? Well, a, a helmet protects your head. In most heads is a brain and most brains think, right? And so this means the enemy is after my head. He's working on my thinking. There is a battle to control our minds. The enemy here is the evil one better known as Satan. We're in a spiritual battle. He is working his schemes to get a hold of our thinking. Think of Adam and Eve. Paul says we're in a spiritual battle. We're fighting against the schemes of the devil. We are all involved. Every one of us is involved in this battle. You can't set it out. If you think you can, you know, set this one out, you can be on the sidelines, then you're already a casualty because you're not serving the Lord in his church. And so the evil one, evil one wants to invade, infiltrate, and influence our minds. He does this in many ways. But the focus here is on salvation. We need to understand salvation and how it's taught in the scriptures. And I like to think of it as past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. Let me try to explain this. Past. This is when... We first received Jesus. 
No one's born a Christian. Have you ever heard the statement, God doesn't have any grandchildren? You ever heard that? It's kind of profound when you think about it. For a lot of young people, it means you can't live off the faith of your parents. There comes a time when we, we have to make a decision about Christianity. There comes a time when we realize and we accept the truth of our own salvation. We can talk about it in different ways, about being born again, being redeemed, justification, being saved. But, but there's a time when we ask God to come into our lives and our sins are placed on the account of Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.12 I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Whose name? Jesus Christ. Joining a church doesn't get you into heaven, nor does baptism. These, these are all important, and they're symbols of the Christian life. But we don't want to get the cart before the horse. Only Jesus saves us. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in the Rudyard Christian Reformed Church. If only it was that easy. But what does it really say? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I already used the word, the fancy theological word justification. We sometimes shy away from these things. But justification, justify, just, it's, it's a legal term. It comes from the court system. It just means to declare righteous. You're not guilty. And there's a biblical picture here. God is the judge, and he declares me, a sinner, not guilty. And it's not because I'm so good or so perfect, but it's because Jesus Christ has paid the price for my sins, the penalty for my sins. He defends us. Now, how many times does this happen in my life? Well, the answer is once, only once. Our past justification was a once-in-a-lifetime event. We might want to consider it this way. How many times do I have to become a Christian in my life? Only once. Maybe it happened when you were little. Maybe at a, like a vacation Bible school, a church camp. Could have been uh, listening to a Christian radio station in a church service. Maybe you prayed with your parents. And the key is, it's happened. It's a done deal. You are a part of God's family, and that does not change. Sometimes I talk to an adult who grew up in the church. They've always known Jesus, right? That's, they, they grew up in a church that had great ministries and programs. And then the key to the question then is, where is your loyalty? Who are you committed to? Who are you living your life for? And have you placed your trust in Jesus? And are you following him? Well, that's the past. Let's move on to the present. This deals with the power of sin in my life. And this power has been broken. Past deals with the penalty of sin. That's been paid for. I've been declared righteous. But now I'm living, and there's, there's real sin in this world, isn't there? It's going on. The fancy word for this is sanctification. It means I've been set apart by God. I've been declared holy, and I need to be growing in purity. In Romans 6, Paul talks about the fact that we now have a choice. We have a choice. We can offer ourselves to God and we can serve him, or we can serve sin. 
Romans 6.14, sin shall not be your master. Now that I'm a Christian, there's power over sin. Sometimes people say, Pastor, I, I have this sin in my life. I, I, wish, I wish I could get over it. You can. You can. God is helping us overcome sinful habits, things that are not right. But we have a choice, and we have to make the choices to live for Jesus Christ as the power of sin is broken. Does, does this mean I'm going to be perfect? No. Nope. Will I, will I still sin? Sadly, the answer is yes. But that's what forgiveness is for. And confession. We may even suffer the consequences of our sins in this life, and we often do. But the power of sin has been broken. I need to make choices in terms of living because I've been transformed by Jesus, and I have the Holy Spirit. I've been sanctified. I've been set apart. I have the power of God in my life, and I need to move forward in my life by living a life pleasing to God. Our choices count. I need to be obedient and do what God tells us in his word, the Bible. The third aspect is the future, past, present, future. This has to do with the very presence of sin itself. Now, this is a little tricky, so it's going to take a second here. But let me ask a question. When will there not be any sin in my life or in the world around me? Yeah. Yeah. Not today. Not tomorrow. Not too soon, I hope. Some of you guessed the answer. The only time there will not be any sin in my life and in the world around me is when this life, this world, this existence is no more, and it's when we've gone on into heaven. And the fancy word for this is glorification. Listen to this. He, this is God, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more mourning or death or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's great, but when is it? Well, this is from the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the next to last chapter. When the new heavens and the new earth come, the old order, the way of life that we know now, will be no more. This means no sin. Now, if I go to heaven next year, there won't be any sin either. But for the world and the universe we live in, it's in bondage to sin. But there'll be a time when the effects of sin will be no more. Here's another one, 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus Christ appears, we shall be like him. This is great. We aren't told everything about what what heaven's going to be like. But one day, we will be like Jesus. We will be sinless. We will be immortal. We will have a resurrection body, fit for eternity, never knowing the ravages of sin or suffering or sickness or death. There's no sin in heaven. Now that's, that's glory. That's glory. So past the penalty of sin. Presence, the power, present, the power of sin. Future, the presence of sin. Past, justification. Present, sanctification. Future, glorification. When we understand this, how sweet it is. 
So let's go back to Ephesians 6.17, the helmet of salvation. It involves all of these, but I want to focus on a certain part of it. We're not going to talk about the past too much. We cannot be in the army unless our sins have been forgiven. So I want to focus on the present and the future. We are currently in a battle, and it's a spiritual battle. But the helmet also speaks of the future, the protection we obtain when our salvation is realized. And let me tell you why. One of the neat things about the Bible is Scripture interprets Scripture, right? The Bible helps us to understand itself. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul speaks of the hope of the helmet of salvation. The hope of the helmet of salvation. Hope is tied into this, so I we need to talk about hope for a moment. Now it's not, you know, I I hope I'm saved. I hope that when I die someday, I, I might go to heaven because I'm not sure. That's not it, because hope to us has doubt in it. We can't be sure. Did you ever learn this prayer as a kid? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Maybe I'm being a little hard on it, but I think there's some bad theology in there. In our language today, when we use the word hope, we say things like, I hope I pass the test. I hope there's good weather next weekend, right? It's the holiday weekend. I hope we have good weather. I want to enjoy myself, or I got some stuff I need to do at home. Well, you might pass the test, you might not. There might be good weather, there might not be. We don't know. There's doubt. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it's, it's not like that at all, not one bit. Hope is directed to the future, and in the Bible, it's filled with anticipation. All because hope is positive, and it's a done deal. Hope in the scriptures is based on God, his character, and his promises to us. A good example is the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's called the blessed hope. The blessed hope. And that that doesn't mean, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus is coming back. We're, we're not sure. Could happen. Maybe not. But it means Jesus is coming for sure. He's coming for sure. And here we're talking about the hope of salvation. It doesn't mean maybe, but it means it's a sure thing. So I wanna, I wanna look at some verses now, which show us the confidence and assurance we can have. This is real protection. We need to protect our heads as we think about the helmet of salvation. We are God's people. This lets us stand firm in a battle in which the enemy wants to take us out. Galatians 5.5, Paul says, here's a good verse, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. Wow. The Holy Spirit is living in us. We are God's people. It's working with our faith. It's pointing ahead to the righteousness which is ours. We hope for it now, but there's there's not to be any doubt. It's ours, so we have to anticipate it. It's like when my, my family and I decide we want to go out to eat some night, and I say, I hope we eat pizza. Guess what we're going to eat? No doubt. Peter writes this. He says, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Peter says we've been given a new birth into a living hope. Is there, is there to be any doubt about this hope? Well, well, no. Why is that? Well, because it's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What could be better than that? And note it's tied to our inheritance being kept where? In heaven. And it will never perish, spoil, or fade. Wow. The helmet of salvation, it's our confidence in a full, final, total salvation. Past, present, future. We're in a battle. This is what keeps us going. We live in a fallen world. If I brought in yesterday's newspaper, or today's Sunday edition, all the news paint a pretty bad picture of the world we live in. Anytime you read a newspaper, anytime you watch the news, it's all evidence of living in a fallen world. The wars being waged, individual acts of sin in people's lives, it's disheartening. Sickness, death, we have to realize the reward is out there. The finish line, the goal line, the end of it all, Ephesians 6, we have an enemy. He has schemes and plans. He wants to come at us. He wants to sneak up on us. He wants to destroy us. So he's going to aim right for the head. A lot of people think, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. Well, that's a devil trying to get in there and tear you down. He goes on the attack. He says, well, you, you can't be a Christian. Look at what you did. Remember what you said? Remember that habit of yours? Remember what you did? How can you be a Christian? Sometimes I talk to someone and uh, they'll say something like, I think I'm a Christian, but... Or I, I hope I go to heaven. And then I'll start talking about this with them, that we can have confidence, we can have assurance. And sometimes it's it's because they're having a hard time. Right? We, we all have difficulties, and our faith has to, has to wrestle with that, right? We have to come to grips with it. It's, it's not easy. And oftentimes we go through something that's, that's very difficult, and we, we start to feel that maybe, maybe God loves me less, right? Maybe, maybe I, I haven't done the things I, I should be doing as a Christian, but nothing could be further from the truth. Or maybe they feel that they've, they've done something in their past, and now God's getting even with them. It, it doesn't work that way. It's not true. We can be our own worst enemies. And that's what I want to talk about, what the Bible teaches. Doubts are a part of our lives. They're normal. But we need to stay on track with the teachings of Scripture. And that's what we're looking at now. Our heads are protected, and we got to keep our heads in these situations. If you don't have your helmet on, you can get discouraged. It becomes easy to think something like, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. I don't know if I'm saved. Maybe, why am I even going to church anymore? What good is it? Why, why should I serve 
God, when my, my life is, is crummy sometimes, why should I pray? God, it seems like God doesn't hear me. And that's the evil one. He says that. How do you, how do you know you're saved? You prayed that 20 years ago. You, wow, a lot of, a lot of years have gone by since then. How do you know you really meant it? How could it be true? To some people, he says, you know, you were, you were just a little kid, right? You were just a little kid. Um, little kids do lots of dumb things. Just think about my life. <laughs> Let me tell you, what did Jesus say about children? Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around his neck. You know, the, the faith of a child is precious, but I, I think as we grow older, we, we make it harder. <laughs> to some others, the evil one says, well, why don't you try again? Why don't you just keep trying? Maybe God will, maybe God will hear you this time. He wants us to be insecure. He wants to destroy our confidence and our hope. Now, any coach will tell you confidence is important. Years ago, there was a, there was a Super Bowl. The New England Patriots, the New York Giants, and, uh, the Patriots were big favorites. They had had an undefeated season. They were 18 and 0 going into the Super Bowl. Most people thought the Giants were lucky to be there. But what happened? The Giants won. No one gave them a chance. How did they outplay the Patriots? Well, confidence. The Patriots had a perfect season, and they had already taken out a patent on the expression 19-0. They wanted, for the, for the rest of time, I guess, that no one else could use that expression. They had taken out a patent on it, but the Giants won. The Giants were good, but they believed they could win. They followed their game plan. They did the things they needed to do. If they'd have been thinking, man, I don't care if we lose. I'm just glad we made it to the Super Bowl. That's not confidence. But they didn't. They did what they had to do. Confidence and assurance are so important. In our spiritual battle, the devil comes at us. He works on us. He wants to destroy our ability to trust in God. He wants us to doubt. God says, just put on the helmet. Now, I want to look at some words of Jesus, right? What, what better place to go than the words of Jesus Christ himself? In, in John 6, Jesus is teaching, and this is, this is one of the great passages of the Bible. I, and I encourage you maybe to, to jot some of these down, read them this week. He tells us several things. In verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me comes to me. Did you ever realize we we are a love gift? We're a gift from God the Father to God the Son. We're we're like presents. God has given us to his Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, That sounds strange, but that's what the Bible says. And then it goes on and tells us Jesus receives us. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. It's the decree of God to secure you and the response of Jesus to secure you. It's like double security. It's not anything we do. Many have this attitude of, if I do this, if I do that, I'm, I'm going to be secure. Well, it, it can help. And there are good things we can do, 
But it's only because God the Father and God the Son love us so much. We are secure. This is God's plan. Verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me. That's a good word, all. What does all mean? All means all, and that's all all means. Use that in English class sometimes. (laughs) How many will Jesus lose? Zero. None. I'm not going to lose one single person. I mean, what if Jesus said, I'm only going to lose a few. Some might not make it, or only one's not going to make it. We'd all think that was us. Imagine if this passage that's so beautiful said this. Most that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I I might not drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this, this might be the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose only a few of all that he has given me, but raise him up at the last day. For my Father's will is that, that most all who look to the Son and believe in him might have eternal life. And there's a, there's a good chance, a pretty good chance I might raise him up at the last day. But do you see the difference? I, f- I feel dirty changing scripture like that. Do you see the difference? That's why we should have assurance of salvation. It's a helmet that protects us. Just a few chapters over in John 10, Jesus says this. He says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. In the Old Testament, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Now Jesus says, I am the good shepherd in chapter 10. The shepherd's duty is to care for and protect the sheep. Sheep are dumb animals. They wander. They get lost. No sense of direction. They're an easy meal for predators like wolves. They can't, right? They can't outrun them. They don't have sharp fangs or claws or anything to protect themselves. So it's, it's the sheep's, or it's the shepherd's responsibility to care for the sheep. Now, if Jesus lost just one single person, it'd be a mark against him. But Jesus is almighty, he's perfect, he's one with the Father. Jesus says, they follow me. We know that sheep stumble. We know who the sheep are. Sometimes we walk off the path, we get tangled up in something. But the shepherd's voice, when when he talks, we can hear his voice. Jesus gives us eternal life. There's no Bible that says, now I give them temporary life. No, no Bible says that. Or it doesn't say you can be saved, but after a while something might happen and, and then you'll perish. No, it says eternal life. But eternal life isn't just a, a, a length of time, right? A length of time. But it's a quality of life. 
life with Jesus and God the Father. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, it's not quantity, how much, but it's a quality of life, and it's living with God the Father and God the Son. God doesn't give 10-year life, 20-year life. That sounds like life insurance to me. We could go on and on, but only a few more thoughts. Jesus says they'll never perish. If one person came forward for Jesus and then perished, and he's a liar. Consider the power of Christ. No power in the universe can take us away from Jesus. If anyone or the devil could pluck us away in the grip of Jesus, then he would be stronger. And that's not all. There's the power of the Father. Jesus says we're, we're in the hand of the Father, and there's, there's my hand, right? My hand. Again, double security. We're doubly protected. We have the power of God and the power of Christ. And again, we have the Holy Spirit. The devil comes to us. He, he wants to attack us. He wants to hurt us on this matter. Am I, uh, am I really going to go to heaven? What's, what's going to happen when I die? Am, am I going to make it? Put on the helmet. We can have the full assurance. We can have the security that we belong to Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, again, not because we're so good, but because the keeping power of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's Pentecost Sunday. We didn't talk about all the verses that talk about the Holy Spirit, but we've mentioned a few. So we know life is hard. The way gets weary. I, I get down. I get discouraged. And I wonder about my salvation. But I need to realize that one day, I'm going to see Jesus Christ. One day, all the wrongs in this life will be no more. I'm going to be home. This is my security. Assurance is to be a powerful protection for us as God's people. Are you secure today? And do you know it? If not, it's usually for, for one of two reasons. Maybe, maybe you're not sure because you're, you're not living the Christian life you need to. Maybe, maybe you're not saved and you, you need to do something about it. Talk to the pastor. Pray. We can have this confidence. Do something about it. We need to turn to Jesus. And Peter, Peter says something important here in 2 Peter 1.9. He, he speaks of those who have forgotten that they've been cleansed from their past sins. And the reason they have forgotten is because they're not growing spiritually. We need, we, we need to grow spiritually, right, in our, our sanctification, our holiness. These people Peter's talking about, they're not living for Christ. So the only thing left is, is of course, doubting that, that they're Christians because they're not living as they should. So I want to challenge you to live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. Put on the helmet of salvation. Then you can stand your ground. You will not doubt. You will not be moved. You will stand firm. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, in an ever-changing world, your word stands firm. Thank you for speaking to us through your word and through your spirit. And we ask that as your people, we can stand firm in the battles that we face. 
if 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 we just took time for people to talk about the struggles and the trials they're facing, we could we could probably be here all day. Often we we just keep it to ourselves. We we don't want to worry others. But Lord, help us to come to you and have the confidence that we are indeed your children. We are heirs with Jesus Christ. And that we can live for you in this world. The greater the darkness, the greater the light. And so let your light shine through us as we are your witnesses, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen.